I'm going to get one more of these uh, zero sugar cream sodas. Ooh, I'm your cream soda boy, Colin right. Brandon. Yeah, that'll be a nice short one. Okay. <laughs> I'm your, your creamy. Nope. Nope. That was, I was going to say the same thing, and I'm like, not okay. going to say that. Boy. Nope. We're done there. Okay. Uh, Take her easy. Anyways. Just got me house slippers. Ooh. <laughs> Just wait till you get on my level. I have house Crocs. They're brand new. He does they have still, house Crocs. I have house still Crocs. Got, still got the Goodfellas sticker on them. Goodfellas. 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 Hey, I'm Joe Pesci and I approve of these house What do you think slippers. I'm a fucking slipper over here? Do I make you comfortable? <laughs> yeah, but check it out. My house slippers go in sport mode. Well, you can't see. Oh, sport yeah. Mode. Sport mode. Wow, man. I just got some for... of those um, Instagram <laughs> um, no-show socks and they're pretty fucking great. Hell yeah. The, uh, the Ondos, these do not, I, well, I just got them today, so I don't know if the, uh, the sticky part on the back will ever start wearing off, but as of right now, it's pretty great. Probably. Damn, man. That's some next level shit. I know. As far it's as time sock, to, uh, sock I'm technology. Really, yeah. I'm not really in the sock game, but, uh. Oh, you gotta be in the sock game. I'm missing something. Yeah. You gotta get on the sock, there. yeah, the sock market, as we call it. <laughs> trading socks mm -hmm. on the sock market <laughs> yeah yeah oh that's ridiculous yeah i track all of those uh metrics Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Jason. Andrew's back. And tonight we have with us a uh, friend of the podcast. Wow, I feel very special. Uh, my name is Christy. <laughs> family member of the podcast. Mm -hmm. fam fam family of the cast. Yeah. Christy. Um... And this all goes back to uh, the idea that uh, me and Jason had to kind of just have a revolving door of guests, of people we feel could add, um, I don't know, quality to the podcast. So, some zazz. Some zazz. Mm -hmm. Some pizzazz. Actually, yeah. Chris, your name's been thrown around for quite some time about getting you on here, so uh, it's nice to finally see it. Um, so tonight we are talking about the 2017 uh, sci-fi horror film. Uh, the girl with all the gifts. Uh, this is uh, the guest pick of the uh, for the topic. Um, <clears throat> before we get into it, though, the girl with all the gifts uh, was uh, written by Mike Carey, directed by Colm McCarthy. Uh, it is based on the book "The Girl with All the Gifts," which was uh, also written by Mike Carey. Uh, he actually apparently wrote the book and the screenplay at the same time. Um, so what it is is. Uh, well, we'll get into that later. Um, anyways, the film is starring uh, Gemma Arterton. Never said her name out loud. Did not play well on my lips. Uh, Patty uh, Considine. Glenn Close. Uh, Sonia Nanua. Um, and actually, I'm just going to throw in there, Dominique Tripper was also in it for a minute, which is kind of cool to see. 
Hey, Christy, I was going to ask you, I know you're a fan, I think, if I remember correctly, of uh, Gemma Archerton. What else is she in? That's a great question. Was she in the Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunter movie starring Jeremy Renner? Oh, I, no. think, I think she was. I remember <laughs> oh, going no. That's the only other film I can think of. Well, oh, wow. I've seen her, uh, Quantum of Solace. That's where I know her from. She played. Um... Ah. Okay. Yeah. I knew she looked familiar, but I couldn't quite place it. And that's funny. I remember going to see oh, uh, Clash Hansel of Titans. and Gretel. Oh, there. Yeah. Okay. There it is, too. That's another one. Um, I remember going to see that movie like what? That was probably 10 years ago, right, Chris? Yeah. That sounds about right. It had right. to have been. Unfortunately, I mean, not the start of a franchise, must, but it must have been the highlight of her career, honestly. So I, I have I a, no a yeah, I have a question uh, for our guest here. Um, so I know this is a film that you had spoken with me about quite a bit um, after watching it. I think you watched this a few years ago, you said. Mm hmm. So, uh, you know, obviously we're going to dive more kind of deep into the, the sci-fi-ness of this movie and kind of talk more about the story and the characters and themes and all that stuff. But what um, really stuck with you about this movie or why was this one that you wanted to use your, your guest golden ticket to cover? Yeah, well, to be fair, a lot of the movies that I wanted to pick, you guys have already covered. Um, so unfortunately, I had to really start thinking about movies that were maybe uh, a little bit more under the radar that hadn't gotten a lot of attention. And I feel like this one, I mean, it, it slipped under the radar for me when it came out. Um, it was only a few years after that. I think we were scrolling through Amazon Prime and we were like, yeah, it looks interesting. We'll watch it. And I think after, you know, a few years and now going and watching it for a second time, what really stuck with me is just the the really graphicness of this movie, um, especially the fact that you're following a child and watching some pretty intense violence at the hands of this child, um, as well as the way that this movie ends, which I'm sure we'll get to later, is just so different from other um, other movies in the in the sci fi horror zombie genre. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to talk about. Cool. Well, thank you very much for, uh, you know, bringing it up as your pick and for taking the time to be on the cast tonight. We definitely appreciate the, uh, the female energy tonight you know, I think on sci-fi cross sections. I think you guys need a little estrogen in the house. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> well, much appreciated for you providing that for us, Christy. Uh, <laughs> Colin, um, if you'd like to talk through the, uh, the production details uh, and or synopsis. Uh, yeah, so uh, the only other things I wanted to add on before I uh, go into synopsis was uh, the budget for the film, which I found, it said around $5 million. Mm -hmm. That's what the, around $5 million. Um, and the box office, I think, considering what it is, did, uh, I don't know if it was a very limited run, but it $4.8 So it's a loss, but not a complete one, I guess. Mm. Yeah, it's right there. I mean... You know, curious to see if that's factoring in all the, uh, you know, post-release stuff um, as far as, you know, I say video, like, you know, rentals and that type of thing. Glenn Physical close. copies of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I saw this for free on YouTube and it wasn't bootlegged. So hard to say yeah. if, uh, hard to say if the distribution on this one is, it's getting any traction. 
I paid money to it. I, I, right. I yeah, I did. Anyways, um, <clears throat> so a synopsis for you people. One of several children immune to a mutated fungal disease that has eradicated free will and turned the rest of humanity into cannibalistic zombies, a gifted young girl escapes the safety of a special school and helps guide mankind's survival. Does that sound like a good enough synopsis? It sounds familiar. We'll go with that one. I like mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. It's the girl with all it's the gifts. The girl, the with, girl all with all the, the gifts. gifts. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. So, um, as kind of I mentioned before, uh, this is definitely based on a book by Mike, Mike Carey. Mike Carey actually ad adopted adopted adapted this from a short story, um, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, I forgot what the name of the short story is. Damn me! Who goes there? And it was his short story. I actually read the book. Was it his? Um, yeah. He wrote okay. the short story and then decided to expand it while at the same time writing the screenplay for the movie. Mm. Okay. Well, so was he, do you know, Christy, was he like approached to make a screenplay or was he like, you know what, this will be a movie. I'm going to write them both concurrently. That I'm, not, that I'm not sure. He did write them concurrently, but I don't know the details of... How that got picked up the short story itself i know was nominated for a few short short awards okay um yeah i mean the the book came out in 2013 and the film came out in 2015 so that, that's like a really quick turnaround so i think he had a good feeling that this was going to be picked up easily or i don't know maybe he pitched to someone they said yeah write a screenplay for us so um <clears throat> I don't have too much else to add on the uh, production side of things. I don't think it took too long to uh, to film. Uh, as you could tell, it's, it's a pretty simple movie. But one of the things I guess I do like about uh, the production is a really interesting quote that I read. Uh, I believe it was from the director. Uh, I want to, maybe it wasn't, I forget where it was. I, I was reading reviews of the film and someone said, uh, the the world looks believable because if you can't like believe that it's a, a real world, you, you don't care what happens in it. I've never actually heard someone say that before. And I thought that was actually pretty brilliant. So, um, oh, I wish I had more to add on this production side of things, but it's a very, very slim thing. Uh, one thing that was interesting is, uh, the, all of the aerial shots, um, over London when they're going through the downtown, they took those um, with a drone over the city of Pripyat, which is mm. where Chernobyl happened. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they were going, I think, for realistic. And I think that really comes through in a lot of the visuals throughout the film. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. Because they want to show this overgrown kind of world of man that, you know. Mm -hmm. Returning to the earth. Yeah. That's yeah, really it's cool. kind that's of funny. Cool. The, the way it timed out, um, my, my thing this week, and Christy will laugh at this because the big joke in our family is I have like two week long periods of things I get into. So like at one point I was going to get into mountaineering 
And then I realized there's no mountains in the Midwest. So I kind of had to drop that for a while. Um, my thing this week is I've been really into, uh, urbex YouTube channels. So like all of these, you know, groups that go and explore these abandoned kind of ruined or, uh, like I guess the abandonments is what they're called, you know, like old malls and, mm -hmm. uh, industrial facilities and that type of thing. And it was kind of funny because there's just something about that decay and that, uh, especially like in the case of malls, like those empty liminal spaces oh, that's yes. just so weird you know and, and and really fascinating so i've been just like on a a kick with these videos at late at night i've watched these you know hours and hours worth of these 30 40 minute long videos of these guys exploring these abandoned spaces so it was kind of really cool to see in the production design of this movie uh, a lot of that look um and i'm not sure you know i i also um came across that pripyat little factoid that christy just brought up and I think that's really interesting and great. But just on the practical side with some of the locations that they had to have found and dressed up, uh, just done really, really well because it's that real like, palpable sense of decay. And it's, you know, been 10 years since people were kind of roaming free and doing their normal grind, right? Like we would say mm -hmm. today. So it's really cool to see that uh, the way that the production team kind of took that and ran with it. I'm always interested in any film whenever it kind of revolves around a post-apocalypse or like apocalyptic scenario, like how they go about it. Because there's those really bombed out apocalypses, right? Like the fallout style apocalypse. But then there's also that really verdant, like nature reclaiming things apocalypse. Like I think this was a good example of it. Um, I also think of like Annihilation was very similar. Um, you know, there's, uh, countless other movies. Um, I am legend did a little bit of that. So yeah, really, really cool look. And I thought they totally nailed it. Um, and I really enjoyed that aspect as well of kind of this world gradually opening up, you know, they, they start in a bunker, literally you see no light, no natural light. And then they kind of slowly show us more and more of this world. We're on the tarmac at this base, right? We're going through the kind of verdant fields and, then we're at a stream and then all of a sudden we're in these large urban areas. So it was kind of cool how the movie gradually ramped that up as well from a presentation standpoint. I think that Jason, you said it best there with how it does start very minimalistic and you could almost expect a movie, I guess of this caliber to kind of keep writing that out, but you could, they definitely spent the majority of this budget in like the final third of this movie. And I thought it looked just fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely I think they, perfect. They definitely did a lot with the practical effects and even like the makeup um, and the way that they did the costuming on the Hungries, I think was really believable and not over the top. Well, yeah, if, if you think about um, like the concept behind it, because there's always a, a million different like, I guess, ways you could do a zombie flick ranging mm -hmm. from like The Walking Dead. And uh, I almost feel like this is the... Uh, well, I guess we'd say like 28 Days Later, which is, you know, tells a huge inspiration for this film or like a, what the sequel 28 Weeks Later. They got the zombies on that other end where they're just like, you know, just really rabid. Um, but I love the, the concept, the idea. And I'm sorry if I'm going to this too early, but that it's like fungal based. And the ones that have been zombies or hungries longer. They're starting to manifest the actual growth of this fungus on their, their bodies, which I think is fantastic. It's awesome. <clears throat> and then after a certain amount of time, what is it they explain that, like, they'll just start, like, sprouting more stuff and it kind of grows into a plant? Mm -hmm. 
Well, so that one thing I really wanted to bring up, and I know it's like the big elephant in the room, so I'm just going to broach it right now because I, I know we're going to talk about it at some point. But I had to look up when after I watched this movie, what came first, this or The Last of Us? Yeah, and they- I think it's The Last of Us. I think it edged it out. So I actually looked up the... I, I looked up the same thing. I, yeah. I, I Googled, like, did Mr. Carey rip off The Last of Us for this, <laughs> right? And I found an AMA with him on Reddit where a bunch of people were asking him. And he, he, when, he, when he wrote this, he was in his late 50s. And so he said, like, I own a PS3 that I use to watch Netflix. He's like, I, I didn't know The Last of Us existed. I've never played it. Someone just lent me a copy of it so I can play it. But he had watched the David Attenborough documentary on cordyceps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that all kind of happened around the same time. So, so I- it, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I came across a lot of the same stuff. And what's funny is that one documentary, that BBC Earth documentary, had more to do, I think, with a lot of media that we've seen over the last decade, uh, especially zombie media, just because I think it was like one of those things where, um, and I've seen the documentary clip in question with the ant that gets infected with cordyceps and then, you know, basically has exactly what you see happen in this movie and in The Last of Us happen where, you know, the fungal infection gets to a certain point, it takes over the host and is now kind of controlling and pulling the strings, you know, puppet master Mm -hmm. of the... Uh, of the host and then beyond that when the host dies or gets to a certain height or whatever um continues to grow and then basically sprouts right through the skull of this little you know ant and uh wow it's horrific you know and, and especially if you take that and you take it to its next logical sci-fi uh body horror sort of uh concept right and think well what would happen if that was us or what would happen if this mutated or a strain of it changed enough to where it could infect humans. And that's how you get the last of us. And that's how you get the girl with all the gifts. And that's how, you know, it, it, it was kind of a fresh take or provided some fresh fuel for that well-worn kind of zombie trope, right? Because now mm-hmm. it's, oh, well, instead of it being a manufactured bioweapon or some sort of, um, you know, uh, what do you want to say? Uh, a blight from God or something, you know, it's, Oh no, it's natural. It's nature. It's nature reclaiming more than just buildings, right? It's nature reclaiming the species, life, life, you know, life itself. So, so I thought that was interesting. And I mean, there are differences enough, right? I think that if you didn't go and do a little bit of extra research to see the timeline or to, um, I guess, understand the author's motivations in writing that story that would lead to the screenplay in the book, it'd be really easy to say, oh yeah, that's either one of them ripped the other one off. Cause there are a lot of commonalities there, but I feel like there are enough differences too, to where it didn't feel like it was, it was, um, completely, I, I'm trying to steer clear of the word of rip off, you know, cause it's, yeah, derivative. it's not, it's yeah, it's not that it's derivative. Um, I think it's just the same piece of source material sparked a lot of adaptations or things that kind of use that idea as a jumping off point. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I definitely had the same thought, Jason, about the, uh, the last of us. I didn't play through the whole game. Um, you know, shame on me. I did edit the episode of the podcast, so I feel like I played through it. Yeah. Um, a little bit, 
Um, but you know, there, there were some, there are similarities, you know, commonalities, especially when you focus on the, uh, kind of the protagonist being like a young female girl trapped in this sort of, uh, really bad situation where, oh man, she is like the one last hope of humankind. And then, um, you know, it's a little bit of a difference, you know, Joel ends up kind of dooming mankind in The Last of Us, she ends up kind of dooming mankind in this. Um, so, kind of kind of the same thing that you were thinking there, Jay. Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, to kind of go back to, uh, you know, we talk about what this was maybe influenced by, but it mm -hmm. was also interesting, I could see some things that this influenced, like, for instance, um, before Horizon came out, I was playing through Dying Light 2, and I still haven't beaten it. I got to revisit it, but I'm just kind of taking a break from games right now. Just mm -hmm. that was too much after Horizon and Dying Light, you know, right, right back to back. But it's interesting to me because a lot of elements looked very, very familiar from Girl with All the Gifts. They definitely watched that movie mm -hmm. and uh, and brought some things in where influences like, uh, for example, you know, the, the the creatures, you know, the zombies or whatever they are, the, the infected humans kind of shambling around like standing still. Uh, that's a big part of that in Dying Light 2. Like there were scenes where, uh, you know, you'll see that and um, it, it immediately took me back to, you know, scenes in the game where it's like, oh yeah, I remember I was standing on top of a building looking down and all these zombies are just kind of shambling, standing still in the street because that's really all they can do to conserve energy. And then uh, there was a, another scene at the end with the um, the lab that they find, that mobile lab. And they're, those are all over the place in Dying Light 2. And they look exactly yeah. the same. The mobile labs, they, the doors are the same. They open the same yep. way. So Air locks, yeah. Yeah, you know, and granted, a lot of that too is, uh, I would assume, kind of standard operating procedure in any sort of endemic or pandemic situation where, the, you know, there needs to be some sort of mobile response. I know that those things exist in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that that could be inspired by that too. But just the look of it, you can tell there there is yep. definitely a lot of like, oh, wasn't that cool in that movie? Uh, let, let's try to go after that or let's try to do that in some way, shape, or form. So mm -hmm. uh, I thought that was really cool to kind of see. You know how, and we've talked about it many times in this podcast, how things uh, are cyclical, right? Or they can be cyclical and, and that circle of influence, how things influence the next thing, influence the next thing, influence the next thing. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the times, you know, we end up doing a full circle at some point, but I thought that was kind of uh, kind of cool to see as well. Definitely. So I would actually like to discuss the characters in this movie and kind of what the, the roles or the archetypes of the characters are. And I think that'll kind of help steer us or uh, kind of segue us into talking about how this movie uses its sci-fi uh, cred uh, to kind of back up its main thesis or, you know, what, it, what it's kind of talking about. Because I feel like it was cool to me that what we, we've been on a bit of a, a run lately with movies that are very apparent in like asking those questions, right? We had a few movies where it was very much like, Oh yeah. Okay. You know, they're kind of using, um, the sci-fi thing, right. As like set dressing or it's very surface level. Whereas the last few films, luckily, which has been really great that we've watched, um, you know, the Martian being one, um, this obviously being one really, you know, yeah, they're sci-fi movies nominally, but they did have a lot to say, I think about the human condition and, and that's great. I love that. Um, and that's always what we're looking for. So, I think a lot of that, though, since it was such a 
small production just in terms of what the story says and kind of where it goes. You know, it's a very intimate story about a few characters really at the end of the day. I think the orientation of all those characters is really important in kind of selling that, especially the way the characters grow throughout the course of the story. So, um, Christy, what do you think about that in terms of the characterization and kind of how it, it serves the sci-fi aspects of the story? Oh, that's a big question. And you put that on me to start. Mm -hmm. um, so having read both the book and seen the movie now, um, I feel like I've gotten to know the characters a lot more. Um, and there are some things that I wish they would have carried from the book into the movie that kind of give you a little bit more knowledge about the characters um, and, and some of their motivations. So like Miss Justineau, for example, the teacher in the movie, I feel like she's fairly straightforward about like she is clearly this mothering figure. She's going to be, you know, not necessarily a direct comparison, but she's the Joel of this, right? If we're comparing to The Last of Us, she's the character who, you know, is going to end up being selfish to protect something that she ends up loving, mm -hmm. which at the beginning, you know, her being this teacher and really just observing the children, um, she had to stay detached, but she kind of through that emotional connection as the movie went on and ended up being willing to sacrifice a potential cure for humanity to save this one child. Um, but in the book, you learn a little bit more um, about her past that makes it more obvious that her arc and then kind of the way she's going to have to live her life after the end of the movie is almost more like a penance because in the book you find out that she killed a child prior to Ooh. uh yeah prior to the breakdown of society she hit a child with her car and kept driving and then didn't turn herself in oh interesting this is yes. a disaster yes and then the world collapsed so she never got a chance to turn herself in and so i think she got away with it she she got away with it. And then in the, you know, in the movie, you don't learn that about her. So you kind of see her as, the, you know, this warm, loving character from the start, whereas really everything that she did. Yes, she she did love Melanie and all of that. But. I think part of it is almost like a penance for what she mm -hmm. did, right, yeah. is she's going to save this one child because of what she did in the past and the rest of humanity doesn't doesn't matter because she's trying to do right by herself. Yeah, that's interesting. And it kind of contextualizes a one scene in mm -hmm. the movie where they're in the hospital and she asks the one, I forget his name now, but she Jordan asks Parks. Is uh, yeah, it is with her and Parks, right? They're sitting mm -hmm. there and he's drinking that bottle of Grand Mariner or whatever he's got and mm -hmm. um he goes uh or no, she goes, "Have you ever killed a kid?" or like, "Have you ever killed a child?" And I, I just thought at the time, I mean, granted too, like you're saying, if you didn't know the context there, mm -hmm. or maybe that um, in the book, what the backstory is, it just seems like, well, you're a big, bad military man. Like, have you ever killed a kid? And what do you think about that? But you could tell the way she said that was very pained. Mm -hmm. So there was more to it. 
So that's really interesting to uh, to learn that there is more to it in the story. And it's interesting that it was written by the same individual because that person that was writing the screenplay also was very actively making the decisions on what to or, or not to include in the yeah. screenplay, having written the novel, having written the short story, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And, yeah. And as far as we know, because this, kind of, this kind of stuff happens all the time, they could have even filmed that whole thing, uh, ex, you know, kind of explaining that she had actually killed someone or mm-hmm. killed a child. Uh, but in the end of the, the day, it just didn't fit into the film as neatly. So they kind of just leave it on the editing room floor, as they say. Um, so that could also just be a possibility. Who knows? Yeah, I will say... Um... You know, it, it was interesting to me with kind of the the main the the core characters. Like you have, uh, what's that? Glenn Close's is a Caldwell mm-hmm. Caldwell. So you have uh, her character. You have uh, Sergeant Parks. You have uh, Gemma Arterton's character, Jack uh, Miss Justino. Just Justino. That's right. And then you have Melanie. And they're I feel like they're all good characters because they're like none of them are above reproach like none of those characters are like i don't know i I don't want to say it's that they're not good people they all have good intentions but they're all misguided and i think that it's it serves as kind of an interesting examination of that you know especially uh i think someone said it earlier it might have been christy uh when we were kind of in the intro like you're seeing all this through the eyes of Melanie, you know, through the eyes of this child who for all intents and purposes, like I I love the dichotomy between this childlike innocence and wanting to learn things and knowledge and, and uh, kind of gain experiences. I love the scene early on where she's like out to go get, um, you know, food or figure out a way around the hoard or whatever. And she's like opening doors and, you know, checking out the refrigerator and doing all that. Like that, that was really cool. You know, I, I enjoyed that scene a lot because she's a kid and being a kid is hard enough, but then you're in these extraordinary circumstances and you see this other side to her where she's animalistic. The scene where she goes and chases the cat down and rips the mask off and everything. And um, like, wow, you know, that was really uh, intense and kind of showed this other side. And it was just like, it was interesting to me too, because you could tell in that moment, like she wasn't fighting back against her nature. That's just how she is, you know? And I, and I think they do a callback to that a little bit later on where she's like looking at the sign of the cat or whatever. And she's like, uh, uh, miss Justin. I was like, Oh, you want a cat? Oh, I already had one. Like that was pretty funny. Jess and I both laughed at that when yeah, we watched it. So, a good one. but, um, no, I just, I, I liked what they did with the characters, you know, a small cast of characters, some more expendable than others as we find out, but I thought that everyone's arc was interesting because they all learn something along the way, but they don't get the ending that they want. Maybe they get the ending that they deserve, but they don't get the ending that they want. Um, and and I, I thought that was kind of interesting that the movie really at every turn kind of subverts those expectations right up until more or less the last scene. And I kind of had a feeling that they were going to go to the direction that they were going to go when they started talking about how fire opens up seed pods. I was like, Oh, (laughs) here we go. But, um, even right up to that last moment where Caldwell and 
Melanie are uh, around the operating table and kind of having that discussion. Um, I thought that that last scene was very masterfully played just in terms of this. On one hand, it's kind of a, a nihilistic view of things, right? But on the other hand, too, it's nihilistic for our perspective as as humans, but it's a new beginning. It's it's beautiful, right? It, it's a start of something new. It's instead of lighting these uh, seed spores on fire or whatever and dooming the world, she's spreading flowers all around the earth and creating new life and all, you know, it's, it's just, it's a really interesting dichotomy. And I feel like it's just one more in a series of dichotomies that we see in this movie. So. Um, <clears throat> I think you said a lot there. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, cause you, you talked about uh, the cast a little bit. Um, and I want to bring up uh, Patty uh, Considine because I think he is a terrifically, uh, I don't want to say underrated actor because I think people that know who he is in certain like circles, especially probably more so in the UK, uh, he's highly rated. But has anyone here seen In America? No. If you ever get a chance, I think it's from like 2001. It's a fantastic movie. It's about an Irish family that uh, illegally... Um, enters the United States, uh, immigrates here, um, to live. And it's, it's an absolutely fantastic movie because it's, I can't even explain to get into it, but he is outstanding in that movie. Um, cause the only other thing I've ever seen him in besides that is uh, hot fuzz, which I hold near and dear to my heart. Another, uh, zombie movie, funny enough. No, not no, hot fuzz, not hot fuzz. Uh, Um, God, I can't even remember what it is now. Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead, yeah. It's a zombie movie, but he's in Hot Fuzz. Never mind. Forget I said anything. Anyways, he's fantastic. Um, I wish they could have used him a little bit more in this movie, but I guess it was sufficient enough. Well, so I, I, I mean, you know, kind of talked, I guess, my piece about the characters and just my thoughts on like their arcs, right? Because I think it's a common theme. I don't know if that carried through on the book, but that these characters have these um, competing kind of sides to them, right? Like you'd think, oh, Caldwell, like she's trying to do good, but she's very, well, what's the scene that, uh, that killed me and Jess when we were watching it? Oh yeah. Just take the spare tire out and put her in the wheel. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. so here's this woman who has this, uh, probably I would assume brilliant scientific medical mind. If she's talking about synthesizing vaccines and doing all this sort of stuff, right. Um, that's all she's thinking about. She's actively dying and she's still thinking about, you know, oh, this, this is going to be my last thing. I'm going to do it and, and I'm going to save humanity and blah, 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 but just seems so misguided. She doesn't really, she's trying to save humanity, but she lacks humanity. And, and that, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, I, I just, I, I think you could draw that in every character. Like Justin O seems like she's very caring and obviously is watching these children and she's referring to them as children and as, as people and having, uh, you know, personhood when everyone else kind of looks at them as animals and, you know, a lot of the just despicable stuff that those soldiers are yelling at them when they're taking them uh, to and from class and everything like that. Um, but at the same time, she's in the situation, she's really endangering everybody. Like it's, it's not really, she's not going about what she's doing in any, any sort of responsible way either. So it's very hard to say she's right, 
but she does have, I think, the highest degree of humanity in the in the book or in the uh, the movie. Sorry. And from what Christie's saying on the book side, that there's they go even deeper into that, that she kind of is paying a penance for, you know, sins of the past or things that maybe she got away with that she knows she did. And, and that doesn't sit right with her. And I think you see that a lot with a lot of the other characters as well. Uh, similar to Melanie being this character who really, I think, as I said, has that innocence of youth and is a child in a lot of ways, but also is something more and something more sinister when viewed through the lens of our humanity, not necessarily in this new world that's kind of being created in front of our eyes, but from us, she's a monster, right? But she straddles that line. And I think they even talk about it a little bit in the the uh, the movie as to, you know, the, the origins of children like her that are kind of of this new world um, that, you know, there, there's more going on there. Uh, so I don't know. I just really like that. And I think that kind of asks and answers a lot of the sci-fi questions that we always discuss, right? You know, what does it mean to be a human? What, you know, what does it mean to be a person? Uh, what does it mean to be a good person? I think the movie doesn't necessarily try to answer that question definitively, but it does posit a lot of different ways you can kind of go about that. Cause there was some redeeming quality in all of those characters, I think. Uh, Parks, you know, like that movie, that scene to me was heartbreaking when he's stumbling through the alley in the the big fog of fungal seeds and everything looking for her mm-hmm. that was like as close as i think uh, melanie got in the entire movie to like realizing that she just killed someone you know like she just kind of doomed him and he was trying to make sure she was safe so who knows if that'll stick with her or not you know um into the future if she'll carry that loss or that burden but uh, i i, I kind of doubt it the way that it went but I just thought that that was a very well done scene, you know, the way it was lit and everything else like that, but also as kind of the culmination of his arc, because I think you see him gradually gain that humanity back, whereas he's the one in the beginning saying, you know, they're animals and all this stuff. And he ventured outside of the safety, relative safety of his um, lab or whatever to go try to find this, you know, supposedly feral child or whatever. So. Uh, and speaking of that, that was one question I wanted to ask all of you, because that was the one thing for me with this movie that kind of made me cringe a little bit. And that was the uh, the feral child tribe, the um, <laughs> the uh, what do you want to the Lord of the Flies children or whatever. <laughs> He's like raising the, the bat and the bat is the representation of his I, leadership. And <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely um, understood, you know, what what that kind of was. Um, was getting at there. And maybe Christy can let us know in the book, you know, if that is represented the same way or if it's different or whatever. It wasn't so much the idea of it. It was just the way that it was executed in the movie. I thought that the, the feral kids were just, it was kind of goofy looking. They had like the, like, uh, 80s, like Mad Max hair going on and like, the <laughs> <laughs> I want you dad. The first, the first thing that goes out the window when the post-apocalypse happens are the uh, barber shops? Yeah, specifically no hair cutteries yeah. in the post-apocalypse. <laughs> no. Yeah, I will say in the book they are depicted basically the same way. The only kind of difference, and mm. I get why they changed it, is in the book the the children are described as basically running around like naked, um, which makes sense because why would they think to put clothing on? Right. Um, but I get why they made the distinction uh, oh, of or course. The, the change in the movie, obviously. But they 
they were described as that um in the book even more kind of still in that feral state um but yeah that was actually pretty pretty true to form and the way that they tricked gallagher into going into that convenience store that was pretty much scene for scene from the book right on yeah yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think that that's that's like one of the beats for me. It was kind of weird. I mean, I, I understand um, the importance of that, especially with how it ties into the end. Uh, with, you know, Miss um, Justino in the trailer, like safe from the spores and everything. And all of these, you know, you, you have Melanie, you have the children from the lab, right? Or from the uh, original, like the, the base. Then you have mm-hmm. all these other feral kids. So it's almost kind of like she's educating the new, the new order, right? At that point, um, and I, I get that, you know. I it was funny to me. I almost would have liked, maybe in another world, to have ended the movie with both of them up against the glass and just like fade to black instead of going to that last scene. I don't know what you all felt, but I felt like that would have mm. been equally as effective. Maybe you don't know what happens after, but I just thought that that would have been an, a, a good ending without that last scene of them, you know, running around and Melanie hitting the kid with the baseball bat and all that stuff and telling him to mm-hmm. sit down. Um, the more but, ambiguous ending. Yeah, you know, uh, but then again, I mean, that's how it was in the book, right? So as, as a pure adaptation, it makes sense to go there. But um, yeah, all in all. I mean, I, I really, that, that was the only thing to me that was kind of goofy that took me out of it briefly when they were having like the, uh, the tribal fight in the little like square or whatever. And she was, you know, making the growling noises and hitting the kid with the baseball bat. That was the only time where I was like, well, that this kind of went in a weird direction here. But beyond that, I mean, I was very, um, as a movie, you know, I, I was, I was very impressed with kind of all the other elements, you know, like I said, I thought there were very strong performances. The production design was was great for for kind of what the movie was trying to do. Same with costumes and, you know, all those other things that kind of go into making the movie the movie. Right. Um, And I just couldn't be couldn't help but be impressed by the way that they kind of set the world, you know, and and what the world looks like, because it is it looks very believable. You got the dirty cars and dirty windows and blown out windows and um, just kind of the way everything looked. Uh, I thought really nailed that vibe. So, yeah, and going going back to that scene though, where they are kind of having like the feral child tribal fight. Um, I, that's one of those scenes though that even though the kids look a little goofy, it's not that common that you actually see a scene in a movie where like you have a child who beats another child to death with a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. Like that was very poignant. Um, and I think that's that's one of the things that that's really stuck with me with this film um, is like the violence is very real and it is a new world. Um, and I think that's that's kind of going into the ending, too. But it's you know, it's not this this uh, setting that we're all used to and comfortable with. It's that for any form of humanity to move forward, things are going to be very different. Well, Christy, why don't you uh, talk about that a little bit? You kind of have set us up for a nice segue into the ending and kind of the implications of the ending. So what was your take on that and uh, kind of how that, I guess, ties back into 
uh, again, you know, the, the sci-fi elements of the movie and the questions that it kind of raises. Yeah. So for me, what I really like about the ending is it's, it's refreshing and a little saddening, but it's an ending where we lose, right? Like humans, as we know it, lose. Our science couldn't save us um, as much as we tried. Um, you know, the, in, the, in the book, it's actually kind of funny um, because Caldwell wasn't, she was like a great scientist, but she was like, you know, the end of the line for this project. Like she wasn't chosen to be the best of the best. She's just who was left. <laughs> so she's, you know, in these labs slicing up brains of kids. But at the end, she's like, there was never anything that she could have really made or done to save us. Um, and it, it, I think it is largely the same in the movie, right? Like she said that she could have made a vaccine perhaps, but the inevitability of the fact that these pods will explode someday and humanity as we know it will never be able to come back and be the same, that we have to be willing to die to let something new take our place. And I mean, that makes us uncomfortable, right? We don't want to have to think about that. But I like that this movie went there and it didn't pull that punch. You know, I think a lot of other movies in the genre really focus on the ragtag team of humans fighting back against the zombies or the hungries or the infected. And, you know, there's that light at the end of the tunnel that we can rebuild, right? Thinking about The Last of Us, you have these huge human enclaves that are making it and they're doing it. and they're harnessing electricity and power. That was that was never going to happen in this film. So you're saying Kevin Costner is not going to be starting up the mail route again <laughs> no. between these enclaves? Okay, that's a shame. Well, maybe um, depends so, on when Kevin Costner is born in this world. You might want to make sure you don't make keep your cream on if you're around Kevin Costner. If you see him uh, roaming the wasteland, I've make got sure you my, got your blocker cream I've on. I got my cream soda right here. Um, hey, so, he does. Um, Christy, kind of, I don't want to say piggybacking off of what you were saying, <clears throat> my kind of takeaway was a little bit more simplistic uh, in a way. It, it, I think it has more to do with uh, a generational thing. And it's, it's kind of saying less about humanity, but more uh, generations within humanity. Because it, what it is, is in my opinion, what they were trying to say is the old generation is always still thinking that they're the dominant one, they're the main one, they're the one who are going to make the decisions, they're the ones who are going to, you know, write the policy, and everyone has to follow it, they think it's their world, and at some point, I think it is the duty of every generation to stop and realize that it's not their world anymore, the world belongs to the next generation. Like, I, you know, we're all millennials, it's not going to take very long for us to stop and go, this world belongs to the next generation. This isn't the millennials world anymore. And we're going to fight it tooth and nail more so than the boomers. I guarantee it. But um, I think that's kind of the takeaway here is for me, at least was she was saying, it's not your world anymore. It's, it's ours. And I know they, you know, it's sci-fi. So they're kind of bringing it into this more like species type thing. It's an evolution, but that was, that was my big takeaway at least. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that's that's great. You know, I mean, because it is you can read into it on multiple levels. But I think that that idea of 
have if you go with the conventional wisdom, right, and you just follow what Caldwell and the other humans, the older humans, right, are kind of proposing that that's the like Christy was saying, the solution to all these these ills and all these problems is the old way of thinking and following these kind of preordained, pre-established things, uh, old, like I said, old ways of thinking, old ways of doing things, old norms that you may be able to stave off the inevitable for a while, but the inevitable is still inevitable. And it's only by embracing, I think, as you said, Colin, like the, the new, the new order, right? <laughs> Embrace the new, um, the, the new ways of thinking or, um, look for new solutions. And I think obviously in a very fatalistic sense in, in this movie, at least for humanity as we know it and have known it. But like, I think I, I, I posited a little bit ago, it's an end for us through our eyes, but it's a new beginning for all of those little creepy frail kids running around, <laughs> you know, and that's fine because they retain some essence of humanity or they certainly have that capability to think as we would think and to, um, you know, kind of live their lives along those lines. They just have evolved into something else as well. So it, it is, like I said, it comes back to the idea of the dichotomy. It's really interesting the way that it was done. And to that point too, you know, it was just, I just had the thought as you guys were talking about it, that what I think they're trying to go to, uh, is it beacon? Is that the other mm -hmm. So it's the same thing, you know, like Christy was saying, you've got these little enclaves of humanity, right? But they're all fallen. They're falling. And it's, it's like, for, for, for what we see from the first 20 minutes of the movie, it looks like, oh, yeah, that's fine. They've got this, you know, all these soldiers are there and they're doing, uh, you know, these tests and blah, blah, blah. And they're safe. They're underground. But like literally the minute that Melanie goes above ground, you see like, no, they're barely clinging on. And their whole purpose in the story of this movie is to go from point A to point B point A is lost, like irrevocably like lost. Like there's no going back there. It's gone. But point B is lost before they can even get there. So what hope does humanity really have in the long term, regardless of what they try to figure out or what medical solutions they try, et cetera, et cetera. So really the only way forward is to kind of embrace that evolution, embrace that new order and to try new ways of thinking, even if it kills us, you know, or kills the old guard. So, yeah, that's that's really that's really good stuff. But I think then you have that symbol of Miss Justino, right, is she's this last remaining piece of humanity and she's being used as, you know, the teacher of this next evolution. Right. Um, without her. Would all of those feral children be able to, you know, learn or organize or speak um, or form some semblance of a society? Who knows? Yeah. So it's almost like in some way, shape or form, Miss Justino functions as like this amalgamation of human knowledge. Like it all comes down to her and she is that record. Um, you know, she is that like Rosetta stone, right? And if she doesn't exist or she's gone, then all of that knowledge is gone as well. And then they're not really guided into whatever this next era is or whatever, uh, in any sort of structured way. It's very much humanity starting over literally from the, the caveman 
on, right? And having to relearn all these things. So yeah, the kind of really interesting implications the more we're talking about it. I didn't really think about it as deeply, I think, when I watched it last night, but there there's certainly a lot um that you could kind of dive into there. So Okay. Sorry, my my uh, epiphany while you were talking, Jason, and I, now I'm like second guessing myself, but I, I'm kind of seeing a, a correlation to the. Uh, is anyone familiar with Margaret Atwood? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Her book Oryx uh, and Crake. Has anyone ever read that one? Mm-mm. No. It's it's a wonderful. I had to read it in college. It's it's, it's a good sci-fi book, uh, but it's po- post-apocalyptic. And there's basically just like one human being left and he's teaching this genetically engineered species that we created to survive. Uh, they're kind of like humans, but they're, they're not quite. And he, he's basically like their teacher. That's how the book starts out. And I'm like, that's basically how this ends. You get these genetically engineered human, not genetically, but genetically modified human beings evol- evolved to something else. And there's just one human left who's teaching them. How to be human, I guess. I don't know. Sorry. I pulled it to left field again for no reason. No, you're did good. You, did <laughs> you're you ever good. find that quote? No. No, I think it was on Roger Ebert's uh, website. Tombstone. <laughs> yes, it was It was uh, etched into his tombstone. Chiseled right in there. <laughs> yeah, they mm-hmm. actually, yep. Sorry, does, uh, does anybody have anything else to add? that regard in terms of like their the big takeaway from this film what they think the 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 thesis was andrew what do you think no i mean i think we i think we pretty well covered it uh between jason and christy okay we just got that (laughs) dna we we love talking christy and i we can talk we can Mm -hmm. talk our talk our way out of a paper bag into a paper bag whatever you want i guess one thing that we didn't touch on is kind of the running theme of Pandora's box that's mm. introduced when they're in the school, the, the school, if we want to call it that. Um, and, you know, they they learn the story of Pandora's box. But really, I think through the, the movie, it, it is like Melanie is the one who's opening the box, right? She's unleashing everything that's in it on the world in lighting the spores, right? And letting those seed pods explode. But there is still hope tucked away, right? The hope that, you know, the second generation can kind of come together. The hope that Miss Justino is in her little sealed box, that she would be able to provide that, you know, the knowledge of humanity to this new second generation. Um, I think they stuck with that theme pretty well throughout the entire movie. Yeah, no, I agree. That's good. That, that did come back in a lot of ways. I think that was, um, uh, mentioned early on and then mentioned often, you know, or or brought back often, at least back around to that theme. So I think they did that very well, kind of establishing why that was an important parallel to draw with that story. And then also, um, you know, even like with the story that Melanie comes up with uh, in the beginning, there's a lot of parallels to how everything ends with that. So, uh, no, yeah, but just I, I think overall, you you can kind of tell just with the the way the continuity kind of plays out. You can tell that this was all kind of one person's vision, and that they 
ultimately, I think, had the control to kind of do what they wanted to do, you know, in, in terms of tell the story they wanted to tell. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I think this is a good point for us to go around the table. And I want you to give me your good sci-fi, bad sci-fi and any final thoughts you might have. And we will start with Jason. Yeah, um, I, I thought this was good sci-fi. I thought it was a good movie. You know, I enjoyed it. Um, it's definitely on my list to watch for a long time. So I'm glad that finally this served as the impetus to do it. I know Christy's been talking about it for a while now, for a few years. So um, yeah, really enjoyed kind of the examination of the themes that the movie brought up. I thought it did it in a, an interesting way. And as I think Christy said, a way we normally don't see. Um, it's very rare that a movie can kind of come to a conclusion that is negative in a lot of ways or would seem like the, the hero is lost, but also seem like it was a win at the same time or was the, the right ending, you know, even though it was, was not a, a happy ending, quote unquote, it kind of was. And I feel like those are real tricky because there's a lot of complexities and a lot of gray area that usually falls into those types of stories and endings. So I thought this movie did it very well, except for the feral children tribe. But that was only a very small part of the movie. So beyond that, I, I definitely enjoyed it and I'm glad we covered it. All right. Thank you, Jason. Uh, Andrew. I'm going to say it was good sci-fi. Um, you know, the whole uh, science-backed zombies thing is kind of a breath of fresh air, especially when, you know, you watch movies like, um, you know, George Romero's Dead series, which they're all great movies, but they don't tell you anything about how any of it started. There's no real scientific basis to it. You know, is, is this uh, what you might call, a, you know, a horror sci-fi? No, I probably would put the sci-fi uh, on the front here. It's more of a sci-fi horror if we're making those distinctions. Um, but well done. Yeah, very well done. Good sci-fi. All right. Thank you very much. Christy, you are up. Yeah, so I would say good sci-fi. I think an amazing cast, a really great performance from the lead. Um, I believe she was 13 when they filmed this movie. Mm. Um, so I, I think that it tells a really different story, but one that we do see reflected um, in some ways across different media. Um, I think definitely read the book if you get a chance. I think I read it in like two days. Really good, engrossing read. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you guys all got the chance to watch it. All right, thank you. Um, I will agree with you all. I think this is good sci-fi. This is a good movie. Um, like Andrew said, I love that they kind of get a little bit into the science of it. I, I, I feel like it, it makes it a lot more digestible in a way, or a lot more interesting, I should say. Um, I love what... Uh, what was done with the the characters uh that I, I think jason pointed out i think christy also mentioned the character growth here I, you don't really see that often um they focus on so many characters growth throughout um throughout a film like on this size you know especially it being like a a sci-fi horror film you wouldn't expect it but uh you know between the sergeant uh glenn close uh caldwell um, I, th I thought it was fantastic. I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, I'm really glad I got to see this because this wasn't even on my radar until it was uh, suggested for this cast. And uh, I'm, I'm happy I watched it. it. It reminded me of a lot of things. And I'm ashamed to admit I didn't even put the, uh, 
the connection to the game until you said it, Jason. Uh, which is, that's on me. I was kind of just thinking 28 days later or 28 weeks later type feel because it's British and yeah. Yeah. The other one, I, I didn't really get into it, but, um, I mentioned too, and I think you guys might've covered it on the cast without me. Um, but, uh, children of men, it kind of had a, a I thought about children Children of men vibe as well. Christy, I don't know if you ever saw that, but definitely should see it. That's a good movie. That is like, that is like this movie. If this movie had a budget. (laughs) <laughs> and i don't mean that to diminish this movie at yeah. all but that's just like very um it's a very you know high concept heady sci-fi but it's kind mm-hmm. of a similar take of like society crumbling and w- how do how do people deal with what's left you know so very similar thematically which is cool mm-hmm. but it, it has our very nasally clive owen as well yes love clive um, owen and michael kine all right um well, there you have it, folks. That is our take on the girl with all the gifts. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet and you listen to this podcast, shame on you. Go watch it right now. Um, Christy, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll definitely work to get you back on the cast in the future. We'll come up with a, another good film. Oh, you'll come up with another good film, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that it'll be a fun time. So uh, Sounds I good. Pre- appreciate it. You're definitely right when we... Uh, we're kind of lacking in the female department when it comes to this podcast. I think you might be the second female to ever appear on this podcast. So love it. Uh, Appreciate it. Um, Until next time.